Grab your Bibles this morning, Second uh, uh, Samuel, if you turn over to it, sorry, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22, 1 Samuel chapter 22, and uh, we're going to read from verse 1. So once you're there, uh, just would you stand with me this morning, just one more time for the reading of God's Word. We'll just honor the reading of God's Word this morning uh, as we come round the Word of God. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Amen. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. Father, this morning we just humbly bow in your presence. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come to anoint us this morning and to help us, Lord, both to preach and to hear your word. Oh God, we don't want it to be a word from man. Lord, we don't want it to be a word out of the books of men. Lord, we need a word from the very throne of God. Oh God, we ask this morning that you would breathe into this place your body, that you would breathe your life, Lord, that life abundant into every soul this morning, every heart. Would you touch us afresh this morning? Lord, we pray you open our understanding. Lord, we pray our eyes would be opened. We pray our ears would be unstopped. Lord, we, Lord, humble ourselves before your throne this morning, and we ask, Lord, for help. In the time of need, oh God, we pray that you would move in this house this morning. Lord, I pray that you would unblock, Lord, and take away every hindrance, Lord, everything that would hinder us from hearing. And Lord, we pray that our wills would be bowed before you, that we would uh, obey your word, not only be hearers, but Lord, we would be doers of the word of God. Oh, Father, we just ask for your help this morning. We need the Holy Ghost. And so, God, we pray you glorify your name. We stand here, Lord, not in our own strength, our own ability, our own giftings. Lord, we stand here in your grace alone, in great need of you, Lord. But we thank you. We have a confidence that you'll come and that you will speak and you will glorify your Son through the preaching of your word, for you promised to do it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take your seats together this morning. I'm going to speak uh, on... The battle, the warfare, if you like, or the battle between two houses, the battle between two houses. And we are in a day where there is a, a great warfare uh, in which we are living. We have looked at that in recent times, a spiritual warfare, uh, what we are against, the principalities and powers and so forth, and wickedness in high places. I want to go a little bit further this morning with a battle between two houses. And look at this uh, story, as we know, the account of David, uh, David who was anointed to be king. And at this particular time in the life of David, he was experiencing a great war. It was a war between two houses. You know, Saul's house may be physically finished, but his house, in a spiritual sense, very much lives on today. And every believer in this house will know that there is a battle, there are two houses, 
How often we look at that between the spirit man and the flesh. And when you're born of the Spirit of God and Jesus comes and lives in your heart by faith, then you know that there's that new man that's within you. And then there's that old man. There's a conflict. Paul uh, teaches on that extensively. There's a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. And so we know that that conflict is very real. And we know that the answer to all of that is through the cross to crucify the flesh, the things that we desire and to live in that new life that Christ has given us. But there's a warfare in our lives every single day. That old man does not want to do the things that the Bible instructs us to do. And that new man, that new desire that God gives us, then that's the desire of the Spirit. That's what we want to live in. That's the place of obedience. That's the place of blessing. That's the place where God leads us, guides us, and directs us. In this uh, account here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, this great warfare is taking place between the house of David and the house of Saul. It's a long battle. It was going on for a, quite a long time, and there was quite an intensity that was taking place. We, we know, just for those who don't, but for, for those who aren't aware of it, Saul had been rejected. He had been anointed. He had been made king. And then he was rejected uh, simply because he would not wholly follow the Lord in obedience. And so we know that the Lord had rejected Saul. He had experienced the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, upon his life. And then when he refused to obey the Lord, we know that the Lord then rejected him and repented him of, of making him king and had decided that he would seek out another king. That king, of course, would be David. It was the house of David that was accused of being the troublemakers uh, because they wanted to follow the Lord and not walk after the Lord and had uh, were after God's own heart, as, as similar to when Elijah had stood before Ahab and Ahab comes out uh, seeking after Elijah and says to Elijah, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You're the troublemaker. But actually the trouble was because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against God. And so the house of Saul is very much uh, alive today. I'm going to show you in a minute. And functioning. And often it functions as a form of religion of some sorts, a form of godliness, if you like, but it denies the very power thereof, and it opposes the house of David. The Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey, that's where you'll find the Holy Ghost, when he finds a people that are willing to obey the Lord. So David was anointed, we know, to be king, we know the story of David. He was anointed for the purpose of God. The anointing is primarily for God's purpose. Often we pray, and it's right we do, and we ask and we sing for a fresh anointing, but that anointing that comes is for the purposes of God. It's for God's purpose for the kingdom. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you turn back, I want to go through this for a moment to bring you to this great warfare that's taken place. We know now at this point, and it's so well known, we've preached on it many times, but we know at this point God has rejected Saul from being the king. 
And the Lord speaks to Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel 16 and says, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? And he instructs the prophet of the Lord, Samuel, to fill his horn with oil and go. And I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided me a king among his sons. That God was going to take the very much the unlikely, the, the, the unknown. We know he was the least in the brethren, but God was going to take a shepherd boy and he was going to make him king of Israel. In verse 13 of the chapter, we just simply see for time's sake that Samuel takes the horn of oil, as David is called in from the sheepfold, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day and forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here we are standing. If I could just invite you this morning to come into the house of Jesse. And if you were just a silent spectator in this house, you'll find that all the brethren are there, the brothers of David. We find that Saul uh, has been rejected. We know that. And we find that Samuel the prophet is standing with the horn of oil. Jesse, the father, has already called before Samuel the, the, the great and the mighty, if you like, but now Samuel is searching out for one more. There has to be one more, and David's called in from the field. And if you were just standing as a, as a silent spectator in the house of Jesse, you would have seen this quite unassuming young boy walk into the house. He's come out from the field. He's been minding the sheep. And so you can imagine what that would look like in real terms and what perhaps it would maybe even smell like. And he comes in out of the field and there he stands. And the prophet of the Lord, Samuel the great and well-known prophet, is standing with a horn of oil and he's beginning to pour the oil over this young shepherd boy, David, to anoint him uh, to be king over Israel. And if you and I were standing there just in the natural of everything and we were looking at David in our natural man, when we looked at that, we knew that there was already a king on the throne. His name was Saul. Bible tells us of Saul that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He, was, he, he carried quite a presence. And he had been anointed to be king. He wouldn't follow after the Lord in obedience. But now he's on the throne and we're standing looking at this young stripling of a boy. And God had just anointed him that he would be king over Israel. And have you ever stopped for a moment and thought to yourself, how, how in the world is this young stripling of a lad, this shepherd boy, going to be king of Israel? There's already a king on the throne, and his name is Saul. And this man Saul is quite a character. He's quite a presence. He's quite, he's quite an individual. And how is it possible that this young boy is going to be taken from the sheepfold and brought up and be set upon the throne and rule over all of Israel? Saul had to be dethroned in order for David to assume that throne. And the anointing of the Spirit of God, the, the anointing that we are praying for and believing God for, comes, what comes with it is a warfare. There actually is a battle in the anointing. It's not just that we feel good. It's not just that there's a feeling down, a tickle down our spine. But actually the anointing of God, the Holy Ghost, 
upon the church of Jesus Christ is going to bring the church into a warfare, a real battle. We see from this moment that David goes out. We love the story. We've been taught it from uh, we, we fellas and we girls of, of this young shepherd boy going out to slay the giant Goliath. And this battle was about to begin between two houses. This was the moment, I suppose, that was the game changer in this great warfare that was about to take place. We see David run out onto the field. We see him take the head of the giant after he had slain him with the sling. And now he's standing on the chest of this great giant with his head in his hand and his sword in the other. And he's got that great victory of the Lord by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But there's a warfare that he's going to experience. And it's a warfare that the church of Jesus Christ is experiencing today. There's a battle between the house of Saul and there's a battle between the house of David. And they're opposing one another. The house of Saul will never give in to the house of David. It will fight against it. It will war against the house of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, when David comes back from that great warfare, if you turn into that chapter 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, the Bible says then that Saul set him over all his men of war. This is remarkable, really, if you consider it this morning. At one minute, and, and really within a matter of a short space of time, he's out tending to the sheep. He's just a youngster. He, he, nobody would have picked David. Not, nobody would have picked David to be the great man of war that he was about to be. But you see, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit, saith the Lord. We see here that David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And here's what the anointing does. This is what the Holy Ghost, this is what it will do in a life. He behaved himself wisely. There's an awful lot of things happen today in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it is not the Holy Spirit. Because people don't behave themselves. If the Holy Spirit moves, we will behave ourselves wisely. Everything is done in decency and in order. And David behaved himself wisely and Saul set him up over the men of war. Yeah, if you think about it, for it's so amazing that this shepherd boy is taken from the field. He's slaying the giant. And now, in a, matter of, in a matter of weeks or days, he's put up into a position where he's the head over all the great men of war. It says in verse 6, And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel and they were singing and they were dancing to meet the king with tablets and joy and instruments of music. And the women answered one another and as they played they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And so the rejoicing came, but you know what was happening? That house of Saul was rising up with all its venom, with all its jealousy, with all its hatred that was poured into that heart. But yet God was moving on the house of David, raising up a king. In verse 14 of the same chapter, look again, I want you to notice that David behaved himself, what does it say? Wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. 
This battle, this pursuit of David became so intense that actually David needs to flee for his very life. Saul was out to kill him. He was so filled with rage and jealousy and anger and hatred towards the house of David, and David in particular. We see that David then has to work and, and behave in a certain way because Saul was going to kill him. Here's a man. I want you to think about it for a moment. I want you to listen carefully. Here's a man that has the anointing of God on his life. Here's a man that the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has come upon him. Here's a man that has seen the great victories of the Lord, and now he's been pursued like a dog. Now Saul is after him to destroy his life. You might ask yourself this morning, you're a believer and you're in this house. You're walking with the Lord and as best of your knowledge and as best as you can, you're trying to live a life for the Lord. You want to live for God. You want to walk with God. You want to see God's uh, purposes be fulfilled. But, you know, sometimes we might ask ourselves, I'm living for God. I'm walking for God. I trust the Lord. I love the Lord. I love His Word. I'm walking in obedience to God's Word. But why are all these things happening in my life and in my home? Why is all these troubles coming? Why is all these trials coming into my life? We know here that David eventually comes to the point where he has to flee from Saul. Saul's son Jonathan instructs him that his dad is about to kill him. And so David has to run for his very life. Here's the anointed. Here's the one with the Spirit of the Lord upon his life. Here's the man with the plan and the purpose for his life that God has. And now he's actually running. He's running for his life. He comes in 1 Samuel chapter 21. He comes to the priest Ahimelech. And there we find something quite profound happens. David hasn't eaten in a number of days. He's hungry. He's on the run from Saul. And he comes to the priest, and the only bread that's available was forbidden for him to take, but it was the showbread. And he takes the showbread to eat that showbread just to try to stay alive. He's so desperate. He's at the point where, where, he's, where he's in famine, he's hungry, he's running for his life. But this is the man who's anointed by God. This is the man that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. This is the man that loves the Lord. The Bible tells us that God said of David, I found a man that's after mine own heart, but yet he's in the midst of troubles, trials. He's being pursued by his enemy. He's hungry. He's starving. He doesn't know where to turn. He's running from his enemy. The house of Saul is pursuing him. Ahimelech asked the question, or David asked the question of him about that sword. Is there any weapons here? He's on his own. He's isolated. He's being pursued by his enemy. He needs a weapon. And we know that great account again that Ahimelech says, the only thing that I have here is the sword of Goliath. David says, give me that because there's nothing like that. It, it reminded him again of that great victory that there was over Goliath. He looks back over the victories of his life and he says, I remember that day when God gave me that victory. 
You're here this morning, or someone's here this morning, certainly a few, I know that you've come to a place, you love God, you walk with God, and, and you want to go after God, and the anointing of God's in your life, and you do with everything that you can obey God, but you find yourself perhaps in a place like David. You're at a very low place because you can't understand why are all these things happening. Because I'm after God. I love the Lord. I love His Word. I come to the house of God. I sing His praises. And I want to go further with God. But all these things are happening in my life. I don't understand what's happening. Friends, just because you're anointed and your Spirit of the Lord's upon you and you're following after God does not exempt us from trials or tribulations. Actually, God's purpose is being worked out in your life. It tells us that as David flees from Ahimelech that day in 1 Samuel 21, he runs towards Achish, the king of Gath. And that might sound familiar to some of you because Gath is the city of where Goliath was from. So it's actually very profound. Now David's heading into a place that he had slain their champion. He's going into the, the devil's den, if you like. He's going into the depths of the enemy's camp, and he's the one that has taken out their champion. And now he's running into this place. Can you imagine? Because they'd all heard of David. They heard of this young shepherd boy that took out their champion. And now David, he, he's running for his life from Saul, but he's running right into the midst of the enemy's camp. And I don't know whether he had on him or he hid it before he went in, but all he had was Goliath's sword. That was a dead giveaway. And so he goes into the town of where, where Goliath was from and the king, the, the king Achish was there. Then something really bizarre happens. Remember, this is the king. This is the one that was anointed to be the king over Israel. This is the one with the anointing of God upon his life. We see him there and they say, that looks like David. That looks like the guy that took out Goliath. That looks like that, that guy, that champion of Israel. And David, knowing that the conspiracies before him, do you know what he did? He began to act a madman. Think about it. This is the man with the anointing on his life. He began to act like a madman. Spittle was running down his beard. He fell down on the floor at the gate and he began to scramble around in the dust and the dirt to pretend that he was just an ordinary madman that they wouldn't take his life. Bizarre, isn't it? This is the man who's the king, or to be king, over all of Israel. Can you imagine going to church that Sunday and there's David lying at the gate. Can you imagine saying, who's this guy? Rolling around in the dirt, foaming at the mouth. Surely he couldn't be king. I'm going to tell you something, friends, this morning. God works in mysterious ways. And so then he comes to the place in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And David departed thence, escaped for his life, and came to the place, the cave Adullam. All he has in the cave is the sword of Goliath, and there he's hiding. He's in a hiding place, in a refuge. He's anointed to be king. The Spirit of the Lord's upon him. The promises of God are in his heart. 
He's heard the word of the Lord that's come to his life. But you know where he is? Listen, friends, you know where he is this morning? He's in a cave. How can the anointing, how can the plan of God, how can the purpose of God, how can God's plan for your life bring you to a place, in some senses, like a cave? Have you ever been in a place like this? Have you ever been in a place, you're God's child, he loves you. You have a plan. He's a plan for your life. You're walking with the Lord. You love the Lord. But have you ever come to a place like David came to? A place called a cave? Could I give you a little insight to what he was praying in the cave? And maybe you might be able to identify it this morning if you turn over to Psalm 142. Psalm 142, right in this cave, this is where David is. And this is the, this is the prayer of David in the cave. Remember, he's alone, he's isolated, he's the anointing, he's the Spirit of God in his life, but he's in a cave. Psalm 142, this is what David said. He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplications. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him, I showed before him my trouble. Are you in trouble this morning? Believer, are you in trouble this morning? Saint of God, are you in trouble this morning? Do you find yourself like David, that you're in a place like a cave and you're crying out to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, look at my troubles. Lord, look what I'm in. Maybe in the church we're all here this morning. We're looking well and nobody really knows, but we find ourselves, as it were, in a place of trouble. He says in verse 3, My spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then thou knewest my path, that God knew exactly the path of David. And the way wherein I walked, have the privily led a snare for me. He said these words. Somebody said these words this week. I've looked on my right hand, and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man. This is what David said. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than me. Someone is in the cave this morning. There's a believer that have come to this place, and in your heart you're crying out to the Lord, and you have done this week. Lord, look at my troubles. Lord, look what's happening in my home. Look what's happening in my family. Look what's happening all around me. There's no one to help me, Lord. I've looked to the right, but there's no one there. My soul is overwhelmed. God, you know my path. You know the path that I've walked. But, oh God, I'm in this place. Do you hear me, God? That's what he was saying. And then he said, Thou art my refuge, you're my portion in the land of the living. I am brought low. Lord, would you deliver me? I want to tell you, Saint, this morning, he's still the great deliverer. The cry from the depths of the cave. There are some in this room, I know there is, there is someone in this room this morning that has cried out that cry even this week. Maybe not word for word, but just from your heart, you send, Lord, there's troubles all around me. Lord, it seems as though I'm being overcome by my troubles. But Lord, I have followed you. I love you. Lord, your hand has been upon my life. You've been faithful. Why do I find myself in the cave? Why am I here, God? And he says, bring my soul. Listen to what he says. This is the man that's the anointed of God to be king. He says, bring my soul out of prison. 
that I might praise your name. The longing for David, even in the cave, that he would praise the Lord. The longing in his heart was, God, I want you to deliver me from the power of my enemy. But Lord, I want to praise your name. There's a praise even in the cave. Then he says, the righteous shall compass me about. God, you're going to bring people in around me. The righteous, the righteous, you'll bring people. Listen, you'll bring people in around me. You're going to encompass me about with people that are going to lift me up and you are going to praise your wonderful name for what you've done. Thou shalt deal, he said, bountifully with me. Lord, that word bountifully means generously bestow your goodness on my life. This was from the depths of a dark, damp, and dirty cave. This was the anointed of God. This was the man that was after God's heart. How has this happened? Well, Peter says these words, Beloved, don't think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening to you. Know what he says? But you rejoice, inasmuch as you are the partakers of the sufferings of Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Is that you, friend, this morning? Are you in that place where it seems like, like there's a cave? It seems like there's troubles that's all around. It's easy to come in and out of church meetings and, and go through the meeting and thank God for them and we praise the Lord and we rejoice in what the Lord has done. And it's easy to put a mask on, not the mask, but a mask, to put the other mask on. And to wear those masks of, of, of a facade in some ways and everything is fine. But in your heart this morning, saint, there's someone, there's someone is in the cave. There's someone at the depths of despair. There's someone in trouble. There's someone that's crying out. There's someone saying, there's no one to help me. There's someone that's calling out to God and saying, Lord, I want to walk your way, but you brought me to this cave. The anointing of God is on your life. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. It's in God's purpose. And there's a cry in the cave and saying, God, you know, this is the reality of the walk of a believer. This is the reality of life that we go through as believers. We go through trials. We go through valleys. It's just not all prim and proper and everything put into a beautiful box. We're people that have trials and troubles and battles. Do we not? Do we not have trials and problems and difficulties? The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. So this cry comes. Remember what he said in his prayer. He said... Lord, you're going to surround me with the righteous. You're going to bring people in and around my life. I'm so thankful that God brings people into your life. But the anointing attracts a very unlikely group of people. Because the Bible tells us in our reading, people came who were distressed See, the anointing, friends, is going to attract the unlikely. I want to tell you that again because this is so important. The anointing 
attracts the unlikely. The anointing doesn't attract men and women who are just all clean, perfect, proper, fluent in Hebrew, Greek, walk in with a nice matlan suit, Adrian, and just come into the house of God and everything's all sorted. The anointing's going to attract the people that are broken. The anointing attracts those that are imprisoned. The anointing attracts the prostitute and the homosexual. The anointing attracts the transgender. The anointing attracts those that haven't washed in weeks and have been picked up off the streets of the cities. The anointing attracts those that are stinking. You see, our churches today, the house of Saul, wants nice, tidy, clean people. But the anointing attracts the broken and the maimed and the blind and the halt and the disease and the prostitute. It's going to disturb. It's going to disturb us if we're in any way religious. The people that are going to walk through the door in this end time revival. It's going to rattle our cage a wee bit because they're going to come in and they're going to smell and they're going to be dirty and they need a wash, not only physically, but they need the spiritual wash. The house of Saul doesn't like that. The house of Saul likes it all religious, tidy, all in its place, all the boxes ticked. I want to tell you, friends, there's a people coming in in these days that are going to encamp around the anointing. And it's going to be a people that are the rejects of this world. Hope I don't offend you when I say this. And such were some of you. Anybody else? You see, this anointing, the Bible tells us in Zechariah 13 that there will be a fountain opened to the house of David, the house of David. And it's a fountain, it's a fountain to the house of David and also to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but it's a fountain for sin. And you know what it's for? Uncleanness. Thank God for the blood this morning. In Matthew chapter 15, we see the attraction of the anointing. If you turn over to it, Matthew 15 and verse 29 Matthew 15, 29, it says, And Jesus departed thence, Matthew 15, 29, came nigh unto the sea of Galilee, went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. They cast them, they cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to be made whole, the lame were walking and the blind were seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. There's an attraction in the anointing, but it didn't attract the Pharisee. It didn't attract the religious. It attracted the broken over the anointing of God. David's in that cave. God says that he would surround him or bring a right, the righteous around him. The Bible tells us here that there was 400 showed up in that cave. Isn't that amazing? 400 people showed up in the cave. 400 men came to where David was. The anointing attracts. The anointing attracts the broken and the maimed. The Bible tells us they were distressed. 
The Bible tells us they were in debt. The Bible tells us they were discontented. Here's people coming to the cave because they were attracted to the anointing. You hear the voice at the door of that cave? David! Yes. Who is it? It's Shammah. Oh, Shammah, come on down. David! Who is it? It's Adino. Adino! Come on in. Men be gathered to gather round David in this cave. 1 Samuel chapter 22, look at it again. David escaped to the cave of Dulam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, found a place, a refuge, a shelter. And it says these words, and every one. You see, friend, I see this today. Across this land, I see this as the house of David today. I see it everywhere. I see the house of Saul, and I see the house of David. See, the house of Saul is so filled with, with, with self-righteousness and pride and arrogance. So filled with man, so filled with itself. But then I see a remnant called the house of David. But many of them find themselves like these people. They're in distress. That, that means that they were in a tight place. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, we read there that when Nehemiah came to view the walls and the city and the broken down walls and the burnt out gates, it says, you see the distress that we're in. Do you know there are so many believers that are in distress? There's so many of God's people that are distressed today, but they came they came to David. They came to where that anointing is. We know David is a type of the Lord. We see then there was people that came that were in debt. People that were in debt. We know in the biblical times, just like that widow woman with the two sons, that enemy, the creditor, was coming for her children. There's an enemy that wants to take this generation of young people. We're in debt today because we know we're losing a generation of young people. They're being caught up in all the mess of this world. They're being completely overtaken by the spirit of this age, the lie of the enemy. You know, yesterday, just sitting in the, in the car for an hour, I just seen so many young people caught up in homosexuality, caught up with not knowing what their agenda is, caught up in all the things of the world. I didn't sit there saying, oh, I thank God I'm not like them. I sat there and said, my God, what's happening in the world? Spurn of the years, the lies of the enemy that has overtaken our generation of young people. And the house of Saul sits in all the religious garments and all their things that are right and what they believe. Oh God, for that fountain to flow, the anointing sets the captive free. It sets the prisoner free. It breaks the chains of sin. It makes the lame to walk and opens blinded eye. It's the anointing. We find ourselves in a cave. Those that are in debt came. Those that are discontented. That word actually means bitterness of spirit. You remember when the children of Israel came to Marah, it was bitter, but it was the tree that made it sweet. It's Calvary that sweetens our lives, isn't it? But they all gathered themselves together in a cave. 400 men and David. You imagine... You hear it today, sometimes I hear it, certainly in some of the circles, ministers looking for new posts. 
There's a free post in the cave of Adullam. What denomination is that? Not too sure. I think they're independent. Oh, that type. What are they like? What's the congregation like? They're in debt. <laughs> Would you take it? They're discontented and they're distressed. Oh, would you go? The Bible tells us this was all about this warfare. Second Samuel 3 and 1. Look at it because I want to finish in a moment, but I want you to see it. There's a warfare today in this country between the house of Saul and the house of David. Second Samuel 3 and 1. The Bible says there now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But look at this. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, we have come through a few years that have been very difficult for the church of Jesus Christ. Very, very difficult. And I'm not going into all the ins and outs of all of that because I know what's the most important thing is that the church keeps its eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. But there's a warfare that most people don't see that's happening, and it's a war between two houses. It's a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Can I tell you something? The house of David is the true remnant church, the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something else. It tells us here that David waxed stronger and stronger. Jesus said these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God was going to move this assembly because it was an assembly, it was a gathering. It was an assembly in a cave. But God was going to move them from a place. Listen carefully. God was going to move them from a place like the Dulham's cave. Places are very important in the scripture. Their names are very significant. But God was going to move the discontented, the distressed, and the indebted that had gathered with David into a new place with him. It was going to be so profound because out of that was going to come the mighty acts of God. God's going to move. I believe that with everything. But I want to tell you about the house of Saul. Because the house of Saul never has a good end. Religion doesn't have a good end. No matter how religious it may be, it never ends well. David looked at the wicked He's seen them prosper in their riches and all that they were doing. In Psalm 73, verse 17, it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. You see, there's an end to all of this. The Pharisees and the Jews, and they cried, Away with this man, we'll not have him rule over us. Jesus says, your house will be left desolate. That was the house of Saul, left desolate. And out of that, Jesus would gather together a woman whom he cast out seven devils, a tax collector, a few fishermen, a few ordinary folks, a woman who was a notable sinner who washed his feet with her tears and dried, dried them with her hair. And Jesus would gather together 
the house of David in an upper room, and he would move them by the power of his Spirit onto the streets of Jerusalem. You see, do you want to be moved? Brothers and sisters, do we want to be moved? The masses are gathering to the house of Saul today. I'm closing in a minute. But the masses are gathering into the house of Saul, the house of religion. Might be the ecumenical movement, which is getting some type of revival. Everybody's coming together. They all worship together. They're joining all their arms together, all their hands together. The whole thing's all moving very fast in the one great big house of Saul. Listen to me, friends, it's all happening around us. The house of Saul ends always, always it ends. Every movement that has ever been birthed by the power of the Holy Ghost and fire, every denomination, and then when it decides, like Saul, not to fully obey the Lord and obey His commands, I want to tell you something, the day that that movement moves away, from the authority of God's Word, that the book is not to be debated, but it is to be obeyed. The day that they move away from that, you might as well write Ichabod over the doors. The glory has departed. Many great and mighty movements across this land, birthed in the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost, great mighty denominations burst. But the day they moved away from holy following after the Lord, you might as well write right across the doors, and it's the same for this local fellowship, we might as well write above the doors, Ichabod, the glory has departed. The house of Saul will always fall. The house of Saul will always come down. It will always end with the devil running through it and destroying everything about it. The house of Saul at the moment is on the rise with the power of the ecumenical movement. Friends, you don't need to go very far to see what is happening. You don't need to scratch too far to realize that the whole thing is coming together into one movement, one religious gathering of all the religions of the world. And my personal belief, as you know, is right at the pinnacle of all of that will be the Pope himself. They're gathering in. One of the most influential ways that they're doing this is through the contemporary music scene. I want to tell you, friends, I know I mentioned this, and maybe you get bored with me mentioning it, but I want to tell you it's gathering together the churches, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Roman Catholic, Methodist, all the churches are coming together, and one of the great influences is contemporary Christian music. I want to tell you, friends, listen to me carefully. It's influencing the churches all across this land. It's influencing young believers all across this land, all to come together. And now you're finding these artists one day singing for the Pope, and the next day they're singing in Pentecostal churches who we have, the, have had the greatest respect for. I watched one singer, his name is Matt Maher. I'm going to mention them, by the way. Might get in trouble, but I don't really mind. Some amazing songs. Songs are good, but they're supposed to be. On his knees, singing for the Pope. Just a few weeks ago, singing in Times Square Church. I'm going to tell you something, friends. 
We're nobody and I'm nobody. But I want to tell you something. Friends, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. One of the greatest churches ever raised up in our generation was Times Square Church by a godly prophet called David Wilkerson. Mighty man of God, David Wilkerson, Carter Conlon, love the Lord, mighty man of God. But I'm going to tell you, friends, a man can sing for the Pope in one day and sing on a Pentecostal platform the next day. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. What do we do? We call out to God for mercy. What do we do? We say, God, would you move by the power of your spirit again? What do we do? We need God to come. The greatest influence in the church should not be music. It should be the Holy Ghost. The greatest influence in any church and the supreme authority should be the Word of God. But once we think that we can be smarter than God and move away from the sacred page, I don't really care how big the church is, how fancy it is, but I want to tell you, friends, it's an abomination for a man to sing. Let me tell you, for the Pope, and the Catholic Church is responsible for the murder and listen, I don't apologize for this. You might disagree with me. You might be angry for the slaughter of absolutely hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And their voices cry beneath the altar, how long? It is responsible for, the, for molesting tens of thousands of children. Not so long ago, I stood in that car park with a man who was raped by a priest man in his 60s with tears running down his face, horrified at what he went through. We're looking at a system that is rotten. A man that sits on a throne, his throne, that's worth $40 million and says we need to feed the poor. I want to tell you he needs to get off his throne. This is not a cry for loyalism or orangeism or start beating drums. Thank God I've been saved from all of that. But I want to tell you, friends, we are in a day where it's like the church is in, the true church is in a cave because everything is going that way. I want to tell you, God's about to move that remnant from the cave to another place. And see, when they come to that place, out of that comes the mighty acts of God. This world is ready for a demonstration of the kingdom. Let me tell you about the house of Saul as I close. 1, Corinthians, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 3. 1 Chronicles 10 and 3, the battle went sore against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded of the archers. Then said Saul to his armor-bearer, Draw thy swords, thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. So Saul, look at this, Saul took a sword, he fell upon it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, 
He fell likewise on a sword and died, and so Saul died, and his three sons and all his house died together. Verse 9 says, this is the enemy. They stripped him, took his head and his armor, sent it to the land of the Philistines round about to carry tidings unto their idols and to their people. And they put his armor into the house of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. I want to tell your friends this morning, house of Saul is going to fall. Doesn't matter how nice it looks, how grand it is, and how big it is. I want to tell you something, friends. The house of Saul will be ravished by the powers of darkness in this day. Their heads will hang on the walls and the temples across this world. The devil is a thief and a liar. I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. We're in his house this morning. Not the physical, thank God for this, but you know, not the physical, but there's a gathering of God's people in these last days. And they're not gathering unto a man. It's not Tim McElrath. God forbid if anybody thinks David's me. David's Jesus. The gathering of the people is unto him. It's Christ. But there's an anointing that God will anoint his people with in these days. I want to tell you, friends, I believe we're living in the most exciting times to ever live because God is going to raise up a people from the house of David with the anointing of the Lord upon them that they would demonstrate this kingdom. And always remember this, friends. Years ago, mom would remember, Trisha would remember, Nicky and Stevie, and that years ago, there was a wee man, and uh, his name was Hugh, and he would come in the beaver there. And I tell you, we Hugh, he never washed. He never washed. And he used to come in and sit at the back seat and he'd clear about four rows in about three seconds. <laughs> I mean, the place cleared. But he was loved. Remember, a big man from a church went up, cleaned out his house, showed him the love of God. I want to tell you something. You know what I pray? I say, God, would you fill this place with Hughes? Would you fill this place with Brendan's? Would you fill this place with the most unlikely people? Would you anoint, would you save them? Would you anoint them? Lord, deliver us, please, Lord. Deliver us from religion. Deliver us from the house of Saul. Deliver us from all of that. May the anointing attract the most unlikely people from this world. Anyone believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses a man from all sin? All I know is then, if it cleanses me from all sin and you from all sin, then when the prostitutes come, will you take them for a meal? When the homosexuals come, will you show them the love of God? When the transgender comes in and they don't know whether they're he, she, me, or whatever they think they are, will you say, can I take you to my house for a meal? Can I show you the love of God? Can I point you the way to the cross where you'll find forgiveness? We'll never compromise this, but we need to show them the anointing, the true anointing. God, my prayer is, and I believe I'm in the right house, Lord, fill this place with the most unlikely. Fill it up. Fill it with sinners. May it be dirty. I'm glad Elaine's and 
crash. May it be dirty. May they mess the place up a bit. Lord, let that anointing flow. Set the captive free. Jesus said he's going to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together this morning.